This is episode number 142, Going from Broke and Unhappily Overweight to Thriving with Elizabeth Benton. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, sports science, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. If you are trying to achieve anything in life, you are going to have setbacks. That is the experience that comes with being in the game, not being on the sidelines. And it's not about judging yourself for that. Success is purely a function of continuing. A big hello and thank you to you guys. Thanks so much for sharing your time with us today and for being a part of this community and for listening to this podcast. It's sincerely appreciated and I'm just stoked that you're here. Thank you to those of you who have submitted your plant-based questions on social media. I've posted it in my Plant Power Tribe Facebook group on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, but I will be recording a special episode answering your plant-based questions. So if you have any questions about it, Send me an email, Sonia at SonyaLooney.com, and I will add it to the list, and that's going to be coming out pretty soon, so make sure you get your questions in. Big thanks to those of you supporting my work financially on Patreon. It is really helpful and really awesome, and I just want to say thank you so much. If you guys are interested in donating to the show, it is Patreon.com slash Show, and it's also in the show notes. If you haven't seen it, we have long sleeve, well, actually they're three quarter sleeve mountain bike jerseys available. You guys were requesting a more relaxed fit mountain bike jersey, and those are available at moxieandgrit.com. We also have a couple new sock designs up. So there's some new do epic shit sock designs and another unicorn design, and they are in different colors. People have been ordering those and loving those. So thank you so much. So let's get into today's guest. Today's guest is Elizabeth Benton, and she is the author of her book, Chasing Cupcakes, and a coach for her company, Primal Potential. And her story is pretty inspiring. She was depressed. She was overweight. She was deeply in debt and obese. And she would binge on junk food every time she put gas in her car. But she was working as a nutrition expert, and she felt like a fraud and a failure. Desperate to start truly living her life, she decided to believe in her potential rather than her past. And with a change in mindset, she lost 150 pounds and paid off $130,000 in debt. That's a pretty massive accomplishment and habit change can be really difficult and identity change can be even harder than that. And today, Elizabeth is the owner of Primal Potential and through her platform of podcast coaching and live events, she has fueled her deepest struggles into a burning passion to help people create transformations and live more fulfilled lives. I think you'll appreciate how articulate she is and how incredibly passionate she is about her message. She truly believes that transformation is possible and her actions show it. This show is a lot about changing the way that we talk to ourselves and self-talk is a common thread that is sewed into this podcast and something that I personally really believe in. We talked about how she got out of her rut and pointed herself in a sustainable direction to achieve her goals. There's a lot of inspiring messages in this podcast, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Some key takeaways you'll learn is how she created habits to make weight loss stick, why change is so hard, dealing with shame, erasing self-sabotage, and why willpower doesn't work. I hope you guys enjoy this week's episode, and here is Elizabeth Benton.
Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Me too. We connected a while back and I checked out your book, Chasing Cupcakes, and your story is really interesting and really inspiring. Well, thank you very much. It's certainly been a heck of a ride so far. Yeah, so I'm sure that the audience isn't familiar with your book. I'd love it if you could tell your story. So basically, in a nutshell, I struggled with my weight for a really, really, really long time, despite being desperate to change it. And it literally goes back to even before I was born, which probably sounds so cliche, but my mom was actually pretty sick when she was pregnant with me. And so as a means of survival, my metabolism in utero slowed way down so that I would hang on to whatever nutrients I did consume. And fast forward to being a toddler and a young child, still that same conservative metabolism programmed before birth, compounded with the fact that I was overweight. And I grew up in a household where my mom really felt a lot of shame around my weight. And that wasn't something we talked about then, but it was very clear what we did talk about was that I needed to lose weight. Like as a six-year-old, as a seven-year-old, as an eight-year-old, she felt like my obesity, me being overweight, was a reflection on her as a parent. And she was, with good intentions primarily, going to do just about anything so that I would lose weight, which kind of backfired because Early in my life came these good food, bad food associations. Eating is bad and losing weight is good. And because of that, when my mom wasn't looking, when she wasn't around to severely restrict my food, I would eat anything I could get my hands on. So it was this vicious cycle of restrict, overindulge, shame, fear, hiding that compounded as I got older. And despite putting on more and more and more weight and becoming more and more dysfunctional in my relationship with food, I hated the fact that I was overweight. I hated it as a kid, as a teenager, as a young adult. And I was constantly looking for a way to lose weight. And yet, at the same time, overeating, overindulging and turning to food in response to stress. And I was desperate to help myself. I walked away from, I was studying Latin and Greek in college, and I walked away from pretty much a full scholarship to study Latin and Greek, to study nutrition with no scholarship, because I was just desperate to figure this out. I was desperate to get answers, but to kind of cut to the chase, I learned through decades of struggle that it's not about the diet. Sure, what we eat matters, but if we're looking to create change in our behavior, in our patterns and our habits, it has to happen from the inside out, not from the outside in. We have to first think differently before we can choose differently because otherwise, no matter what diet we put ourselves on, we are going to run into the same barriers, the same excuses and exceptions and doubts and delays. And it wasn't until I really figured that out and changed my approach that I was able to free myself from this struggle And now I'm really passionate about helping other people do the same. I can't imagine what that would have been like, especially to be a teenager with your mom being ashamed of you and the long term, the long term damage. Like, do you still have tendencies where you feel that coming up? I'm definitely aware. I wouldn't say it's a limitation anymore. 
I would say it an awareness and probably more now than ever how I see it show up in other people. But fortunately, I've done a tremendous amount of work in realizing that I set my own worth and that who I want to be for the people in my life isn't about how I look. And I've done a lot of work in that regard, but that's not licensed to treat my body like garbage, right? I also owe it to myself to take great care of myself. And I want to show up as the healthiest, most vibrant, healthiest physically and mentally, and the healthiest version of me for the people that I love. But I mean, it took a long time, like no doubt in my twenties and, you know, my teens and certainly even younger than that, there was just a lot of rejection in my life that came from other people. And that came from me, me rejecting myself because of the way that I was brought up. And you mentioned that you took a different approach to find Mm -hmm. health and self-worth from the inside out. How did you figure that out? Well, It was a long process of struggle, of course, but if I had to kind of condense it, I really believed that I was just unmotivated because I wanted this so bad. I didn't want to constantly feel this tension between I want something more and I want to eat a pint of ice cream. You know, I wanted to free myself from what felt like like a prison of my own making, but I believed I wasn't motivated. And I would say things like, I'm just the fat girl, like I'm not motivated, I'm an emotional eater. And at this time in my life where I started to realize this shift, I had just gotten out of debt, I had put forth a tremendous amount of motivation and discipline to pay off $130,000 worth of debt in about a year and a half, a little under two years. And I was really thriving in my career. I received a handful of promotions in a couple of short years, and I was really respected as a young female in my field. And I kind of realized, well, I am motivated and I can do hard things and I can be disciplined. So what is going on that I can apply those things and do the things I don't want to do or, you know, make progress towards the goal when I'm feeling like I'd rather, I'd rather not go into work on a Saturday. I'd rather not go in two hours before everybody else. What was it contributing to that follow through and that discipline in those areas, but not in this area that mattered so much more to me, my health and my weight. And I realized and certainly not all in one moment. But over time, I realized if I told myself I suck at my job, I'm just not motivated. Nobody trusts me. I don't know what I'm doing. Then I wouldn't have created that success. But I believed I can learn this. My attitude about my job was, I'll figure it out. Somebody knows and I just have to ask the right person. I have to put in a little bit more time. I have to be able to go over and above. And the same thing with debt. I didn't tell myself, oh my God, what's the point? This will never happen. Like, what have I done? I told myself, well, it's going to take one small step at a time, one day at a time, but, but I'm doing it. And yeah, setbacks came every single week in terms of the budget and the plan to get out of debt, but I'm doing it. And if I had said to myself, no way, Jose, then I wouldn't have. And yet here I was wondering why I hadn't followed through in all these other areas So much of it was because I was telling myself I couldn't and I wouldn't. And I knew I couldn't have created success in those other areas with that belief system. So no surprise that I wasn't having success in this area with that belief system. Yeah, everybody has something else holding them back. 
And there's a great book called The Willpower Instinct by Kelly McGonigal. Mm -hmm. And it talks about how willpower is a muscle and you can't just willpower your way to achieving your goals. Like you have to change things and you can't just rely on that because it's, it's going to run out. Absolutely. And I have a chapter in my book called White Knuckles Are Red Flags. Meaning if you are relying on white knuckle willpower, that is a red flag that you are taking the hard road and there is a much easier road. Yeah, we've all experienced white knuckling something and just doing willpower. And I do believe that willpower is a replenishable resource. But I also believe that there is a way to really make it far easier to not have to work so hard. Not that change is easy, but it does not have to be so hard. So do you recommend if someone's listening and they're trying to get out of debt or they're trying to lose weight or they're trying to do something else, it sounds like you looked at an area of your life where you were finding success and you tried to apply those principles to an area that you're struggling with. Is there a way to define that more clearly so somebody can start applying that to their problem? Well, here's the thing. I don't think that it was as simple as, well, why am I successful in my job? Let's apply that. Because fundamentally... That was the exact issue, right? It wasn't like, oh, just be disciplined with food like you are with money or like you are with work because that was what I was trying to do all the way around, right? So while that might be really effective for some people, that wasn't my approach. It was where I started to see what the issue was that was my story. So it wasn't apply these strategies that make you successful here and just do it over there because that is more of the outside in approach, right? So that's not the approach that I took. What I did was really look at my beliefs about those things, my beliefs about my work, my beliefs about my finances and my beliefs about my eating habits or my weight or my past and that's when I started to say, okay, I can't continue to tell the story of the past and tell the story of the problem and cling to that version of reality and expect for things to change. Like that's just not going to happen. But at the same time, I couldn't say I'm healthy and I'm vibrant and I take great care of myself because that wasn't true. And I don't believe that we can lie to ourselves and create any great success. So what I did was, well, what is a different version of the story, right? If it's not, I suck, I'm an emotional eater, I'm not disciplined, I'm unmotivated, and it's not, I'm healthy and I'm taking care of myself and I feel like that's a lie. It was just, I have one more good choice in me. I can win this day. I can make an improvement today. And so I worked to shut down the stories that created the results I didn't want and start telling stories that I could believe that were very small, that were granular almost, but that didn't talk me out of the work I was trying to do. Okay, so it was more an identity shift. So you're trying to tell stories that basically portrayed the identity that you wanted to be. And that was across the different elements or, or disciplines of your life. Yeah, but not even who I wanted to be down the road, right? Because that felt far away. Like I wanted to be healthy and I wanted to be confident and I wanted to be somebody whose default was taking care of herself. That was too far in the distance and it didn't feel real and it didn't feel tangible. Who do I want to be today? Who can I be today? What is an improved version of me today, which felt way more real? So you're looking for like a 1% better instead of trying to say, 
this is the outcome I'm looking for. You were trying to say, this is the thing that I can do to get me 1% closer. I totally get the 1% thing, but I wasn't even focused on like the future. I was just focused. It wasn't like 1% closer to some future ideal. It was just, what's an improvement I can make today? How can I just be a little better today than yesterday? Which I think it might seem like nuance, but to me, there was a really big difference between I'm closer to this thing that I don't even know I can achieve, that I don't have confidence in. It wasn't that at all, right? That I had tried before, like getting closer to the goal of losing a hundred pounds or whatnot. I couldn't do that. That wasn't successful for me. I had tried that. I had to keep my eyes off of the future as well as off of the past and just be squarely in today. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out a way to like make it so that people can apply that because it seems like a lot of times whenever you look at who you want to be, you have to look at the future a little bit. And whenever you're trying to figure out who you don't want to be, you have to look at the past a little bit. So you have to be making a goal or making a shift towards a direction. And it's hard to do that if you are just looking at yourself today blindly without looking into the future. So I'm just wondering how you can look at today and say, I'm just going to do this today without having a future self or a future goal that you're trying to aspire to be. So I totally understand what you're saying. It just wasn't true for me that way. So let me give you an example. I used to go, when I was at my heaviest, I would go to Chick-fil-A every single morning for breakfast. And I would get a chicken minis and a chicken biscuit, hash browns, and a large Diet Coke, right? I didn't need to focus on wanting to lose 100 pounds. I absolutely did not need to focus on all the times I had failed before and all the struggles of the past. You know, today, I'm going to choose chicken minis or a chicken biscuit, but not both, because today I can make an improvement. Today, I can be a slightly better version of me. Today, there is a incremental improvement that I am able and willing to make for today, not based on where I'm trying to go, just showing up today as a slightly better version of me. And at the beginning, it could have been, you know, somebody brought in donuts. Well, you know what? I'm not going to have one of those because I'd really like to have some ice cream when I get home, when I'm not distracted by work. So I'm going to do that instead of that. And While I absolutely respect that people's processes are different, that was just mine based on 30 years of struggling and 30 years of doing things that didn't work for me and really needing something that, because what would happen when I focus on the future is it's not here yet. So I can put it off. I can start tomorrow. And I did that for so long. Like, oh my gosh, there's so far to go that like this one thing isn't going to make a difference. And it gave me license to give myself an out all the time. So I couldn't use the future anymore. Now, don't get me wrong. I still, at this point in my life, practice that same approach. And I also know what I want for my life. But then when I was in the trenches, when I was trying to break free from the struggle, it was truly just about the day I was in. And while that might not be like your thought process or how you think about it, it was just what was true and real for me. To me, it still does sound like, though, you're trying to make choices that are a little bit better, like the 1% better. It doesn't have to be like 1% better towards your future self. But the Chick-fil-A example was you're trying to make a better decision instead of going for the full meal, trying sure, to yeah, pick one right. or the other. Yeah, so, yeah without a doubt. So yeah, I, I think for people who are listening, they can look at their day and they can say, how can I make a better improvement in my day just for today? And how mm-hmm. can I sit down at the table and make a better choice, a better substitution, or if they're spending 
spending money? Like, how can I be more responsible in this moment with my money? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I still do that. And I, when I work with my clients, we have an identity journal and it is just focused on today. Like if I were to show up today, how I want to represent myself as how I want to be, not for the sake of losing 20 pounds or, you know, whatever else, but just like to feel really good at the end of the day, to feel proud of myself. What does that look like? And we're really focused on the day we're in. So what did you do whenever you had setbacks? Because that that happens for everybody. My perspective on that is that success, progress, achievement is not about avoiding setbacks. And it's not about, you know, he who has the smoothest road wins. Success is about continuing. Success is about not stopping. So for me, it was not about the fact that I had a setback. That is the price you pay for not being on the sidelines. It's kind of like if you're an athlete, you're going to lose and you're going to get hurt, right? At some level playing the game, you're going to lose and you're going to get hurt. If you are trying to achieve anything in life, you are going to have setbacks. That is the experience that comes with being in the game, not being on the sidelines. And it's not about judging yourself for that. Success is purely a function of continuing. So that was my mantra. What's next? Now what? So what? Now what? That was my mantra. I continue. I do not stop. This is not something to be dramatic about. This is not something to be upset by. This is the price you pay for being in life, for doing things with life. So what? Now what? And when did you really start having a major shift? Because things happen incrementally over time. And I mean, it's not like you just one day wake up and you've lost 100 pounds. Like that takes a lot of time to get there. So I'm sure that eventually you looked in the mirror and you're like, wow, I'm a really different person. I don't think there was a major shift. Like you said, it it happens so slowly. So for me, there wasn't that like, oh my gosh, now I'm different. It was just continuing. It was just a series of, of good moments and tough moments and beginning again and refreshing and resetting. And who knows, maybe I'll have that moment at some point in the future. But to this point, six or so years into this journey, I don't think I've ever had that major moment of, oh my gosh, now I'm different. Do you have some examples from some of the clients you've worked with where people have been self-sabotaging themselves and you've helped them pull themselves out of that and what tools you gave them to do that? For sure. Beginning with, I've never met somebody who's truly sabotaging themselves. Like they believe they are, right? And I certainly did too. So for example, I've lost 10 pounds and then I go out and I have french fries and ice cream and pizza. The next morning I have pancakes. I sabotage myself. And I think while there are certainly some people who do want to cause themselves harm, for me, it's not sabotage at all. It's just a direct result of the story you told yourself. So if you tell yourself, I deserve this, and then, well, if I'm going to have this, then I might as well have that. It's nothing about intentionally trying to hurt yourself. It's just the choice flows from the story you told yourself. You convinced yourself of this very rational at the time line of thought. Oh, I've done so well. Have some fries. Oh, well, if I'm going to have fries, I might as well get it out of my system and start again on Monday. There's no sabotage in that. 
It's just the logic you created. So the, one of the tools that we use is just like, what else is true there? What is true about that logic? But what is also true about right now? Because what keeps people from getting back to where they were is that they choose to stay where they are. Sometimes we feel like there's this barrier in front of us. I'm stuck. I'm off track. I sabotaged myself. And it's not that there's this barrier in front of us. It's that we are choosing to stand at it. You are always one good choice away from a different direction. In any moment, you are one good choice away from a different direction. You're three or four good choices away from a totally different feeling. So I just remind them of their power. This decision to eat a bunch of stuff after you lost 10 pounds or whatever it is, it doesn't change you. It doesn't change what you are capable of. But if you keep your attention there and you fuel it with drama, then you're choosing to stay there. So one of the tools that I use with most of my clients is like, let's strip away the drama. What happened when we remove the drama? You had French fries and then you had ice cream and then you woke up and you had pancakes and like that's choices. So now you're in this blank slate moment and you can make another choice. What is a choice that would make you feel good right now? Because you've made some choices that don't make you feel good. What is a choice that would make you feel good? When we strip away the story and we strip away the drama, because it's not the choice that is so problematic, it's the, the drama that we generate around it. So that's one of the tools that I use with a lot of my clients on a regular basis. And what about the chemical addiction part? Because whenever you start eating food, especially junk food, it's been chemically devised so that you want more and more of it. And it almost is set up to derail you. Well, the thing about it is, yes, we train our palates with what we eat, right? So the more sweet you introduce to your palate, the more sweet you're going to desire. But no matter what, it doesn't take away your power to choose, right? We're not talking about, you know, a chemical dependence. Because if I said to somebody that was like, oh my gosh, I'm addicted to sugar. Okay, if you can go the rest of the day without sugar, I'll give you a million dollars in the morning. It would be the easiest day of your life. You'd be like, seriously? Like, is this a joke? What's the catch? Nothing changed about your capacity. The only thing that changed was your perspective. So while absolutely we can train our palate to desire certain things, we still have control over our choices. And that goes back to stripping away some of the drama about it. And I just really supportively remind my clients, you're still in control. I have moments where I want to swap my dog, you know, like he just tore up a pillow and ran through paint and all this stuff. And I'm like level 10 mad. And even though I feel that feeling, I don't hit the dog because I still, despite feelings, have control. You know, we might be so mad at something somebody said at work, but we still have control over the words that come out of our mouth. And we might feel like we really want those chips, like the craving is strong and we still have total control. And one of the primary reasons that we don't feel like we have control is because we've told ourselves this story that the food has more power than we do and it doesn't. And it also sounds like all or nothing personalities would fall off the wagon a lot harder than someone who would be better at moderation. But what do you think is more effective? I'm not personally an all or nothing person in any facet of my life, but I also respect that you can be. I think the important thing is you are whatever you choose to be. You know, today I can be very binary, very black and white. And tomorrow I can 
you know, have a cookie with my friends when I get to California. And it's not who I am. It's what I choose. I am not an all or nothing person or a moderation person. I either choose one or the other, and we are free to choose one or the other in any moment. It just depends on what you want for your life, right? There are people very validated in their feeling that they do not want to have white flour or sugar ever again for the rest of their lives. Cool. In that case, you've made that choice, right? For me, that is not how I personally want to live. I want to enjoy a cupcake every once in a while. I want to enjoy a spicy margarita every once in a while. That is my decision. It's not my personality. It's just a choice that I make for what I want. And we have to know what we want and how we want to live. And I knew early on It is not my goal to live without indulging forever, but it's okay if it's yours. I think it's just important to know that. What are some questions people can ask themselves? Because you mentioned that we're all telling ourselves a story or creating drama or creating an identity based on how we talk to ourselves, based on self-talk. And for some people, it's really easy to change their self-talk and to really Mm -hmm. take action based on that self-talk. But for some people, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot harder to do that. So like what's been successful for you to pull out or tease out the type of things that people need to tell themselves to be better? Well, one is asking questions. And you started that with like, what what are some questions? So one is asking questions. In fact, in Chasing Cupcakes, there's over 270 or something questions throughout the book to teach you to start to challenge your thoughts. Because what happens is, our thoughts go unexamined. We've just had them so many times, like stressful day of work, I want a glass of wine. Or email that doesn't align with your thoughts, she's a jerk. We have these thoughts that are so routine and so patterned and we don't question them, so we don't ever get to explore what else is true. The way that I really teach people to create space to ask these questions, because sometimes it seems like it happens so fast, there's no time or no room to examine them. Like I just went from this thing happened to, you know, I had this stressful day and the next thing I know I'm at the drive through and I didn't even think about it till afterwards. Generally, we have to build awareness and we build awareness by paying attention and slowing down. And one of the primary tools I use for that is journals. And when I first started working with clients, it was just a blank journal, just really work to not simply be reactive every single day, but take a tiny bit of time to be reflective and responsive instead of constantly reactive. And then that evolved over time to the identity journal that has a series of questions and prompts to ask yourself, because what we practice at any time, the more consistently we practice it, it then becomes available to us in general. So what that means is, even if we're journaling for five or 10 minutes in the morning, the more we do that, the more that reflectiveness or that curiosity or that investigation is with us for the rest of the day. But one of the things that I ask a lot of my clients is what else is true, right? Where people get sucked into these stories or these patterns of behavior is that they are telling themselves only one emotional corner of the truth, one fragment of the truth. And there's so much more that is truth. Like, I've had a stressful day. I deserve a glass of wine. Okay, but what else? Maybe you don't deserve a glass of wine because the next morning you routinely wake up and say, why did I do that? What's wrong with me? I told myself I wasn't going to drink last night. So maybe what else is true is, you know what? 
What I deserve is a night without wine. I think I would feel better without wine. That the solution to stress has nothing to do with alcohol. That food or drink is really only the answer when the problem is hunger. So we start saying, you know, what else is true? What else could be true? What am I missing when I tell the story this way? And it takes time and it's awkward at first. And, and typically people are a little stumped at first. And that's great. That is the beginning of our work, not the end. Yeah. And I also liked in your book how you listed out some thoughts where people say something, but then they're actually saying it to give themselves permission to give themselves an out, kind of like the example you just gave with the wine. Yeah, for sure. A lot of it isn't true at all. It's just permissive. You know, I would tell myself that eating made me feel better. No, eating made me feel less. And that's not the same as making me feel better because inevitably, though there were moments of pleasure afterwards, there was more negativity. There was more frustration. There was more disappointment. Eating didn't make me feel better. That was just a card I played to write myself a pass to give myself permission. And now I'm really honest. Eating makes me feel less. It doesn't make me feel better. Yeah. And I like you had some questions that you had actually written out about detaching from some of the emotions. And I'm going to read them just so people have them. But the questions are, what meaning have I attached to the situation? Is it true? What else could it mean? What emotions might be clouding my reaction? What is happening without my story about what's happening? Mm -hmm. So where did all these questions come from? Because you mentioned there's over 200 in your book that people can ask themselves. And these questions are a bridge to better self-awareness and also time to pause before you react. Did you, were these just questions that you had written down over time? Most of them came from either my own journaling or probably more than that, my experience with my clients. I never want to give my clients their answers. I want them to create their answers from their own new ways of thinking. And the way that I found is, is most effective to do that is ask the questions. So when did you start Primal Potential and start doing coaching? Primal Potential and coaching kind of launched at the same time. And that was, um, it'll be five years on July 12th. And what kind of coaching is it specifically? I help people think differently because fundamentally, if you do not change the way you think, you cannot change your behavior long-term. You can with white knuckle willpower, as we talked about a few minutes ago, for a short period of time, but inevitably your old way of thinking that talks you into giving up or giving in or making an excuse or an exception or a delay is gonna show up. So fundamentally, like the questions we talked about, let's expand the way you think. Because if you think the way you've always thought, you're gonna get what you've always got. And how did you switch from, because you mentioned you had a job before, like, did you quit that job to start this? Like, how did that whole, whole thing yeah. come about? I did. I wanted to go out on my own. I wanted to do something that was more meaningful to me. So I quit my job prior to starting Primal Potential. And the day after I quit, I put up my website. And how did you build your client base? Word of mouth entirely. I only did my first bit of advertising when my book came out in January. So that was four and a half years into the business. It was 100% word of mouth. And a lot of times people start something, but getting that first client is really difficult. Like, I don't know if you can say who your first client was, but can you say how you got your first client? I don't know who it was. I can't recall. I know roughly like who was in the first group. 
But I started a blog and I, you know, of course, like most people do, Facebook and Instagram. And I just started talking about what my beliefs were about creating change. And when I launched my first product, at that point, I don't believe I had the podcast. The podcast came about six months in. And I had people fill out an online application and there was probably only seven or eight people, but starting from zero and the only person knowing what I was doing was my mom, seven or eight felt like a really wonderful start. And I want to talk about your podcast. Like when did you start that and how has it evolved? So it started probably right at the beginning of 2015 or right at the end of 2014, one or the other. I just found that I hated blogging. That's why I almost never blog and you rarely find new things on my blog. I don't prefer communication through writing as much personally. I prefer communication through speaking. And so I thought, how can I just like talk about this? And I wasn't listening to any podcasts at the time. So I just Googled how to start a podcast. And I think I had it up three weeks later. And now we're almost 700 episodes in. And It's evolved in that I probably started talking a lot about nutrition because that's what my background is in, my educational background is in. And then the more I worked on myself and my own evolution and the more clients I worked with, I would say it had been like 80% nutrition, 20% mindset. And now it's probably the reverse. Is there one episode in particular that people have like, that's been your by far your most popular episode? No, because it really depends on what brings you to the podcast. You know, there are some of the like science people who just love the nuts and bolts who get really fired up about some of the episodes about insulin and hormones, endocrinology, all that stuff. And then from a mindset perspective, it depends so much on style. Like some of the episodes are really fiery and direct and intended to rile you up and others are much more empathetic and emotional. So it's all over the map. I wish that I could say there was one because that would be an easy way to like drive people to it. But it, it hasn't been that way for me. Awesome. So where's the best place for people to find you if they want more? I would say the podcast. It's called Primal Potential and it is on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or on primalpotential.com. Yeah. And I mean, you have tons of, of ratings and reviews and congratulations on everything you've done. It takes a lot of work and focus to write a book. And I personally know how much dedication it takes to keep a podcast going and to keep it growing. So congratulations. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It does uh, take a village. And honestly, none of it would be possible without my amazing listeners and clients. Like they just make every day worth it. Cool. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I'd love to hear what you guys thought of this week's podcast. Make sure to take a screenshot and share the show with your friends, or you could just send us a message. We also really appreciate and read every single week the reviews you are leaving on Apple Podcasts, and that also helps other people find this show. So thank you so much to those of you who are part of this awesome community. I'm wishing you all the best success, and we'll see you right back here next week.